This is Professor Allen, and welcome to the Quarter Bin. In every episode of this podcast, I will summarize, criticize, discuss, and review a single issue from my comic book collection, which I will select, eh, sort of at random. Any book from my comic book collection is eligible, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for it. Was the issue worth 25 cents? Was it a bargain at 25 cents? Or was it still overpriced? Stay tuned and find out. For this fourth episode of the Quarterbin Podcast, I'm looking at The Mighty Thor, issue number 409 from November 1989. The Mighty Thor, number 409, had a cover price of $1, meaning I acquired this copy for a cool 75% discount. The story is titled Doom is only 60 seconds away, although the cover copy does not include the word only. But be that as it may, the story was written and drawn by Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends, with Joe Sinnott finishing up the art. The issue starts with Thor's hammer flying directly at us, the poor readers. Actually, the hammer has just smashed through the escape vehicle of a pair of jewel thieves. The bad guys recover quickly, and knowing that Thor is not invulnerable, they fire some super high-tech weapons at him. But his spinning hammer deflects the blasts, and one more swing of the mighty weapon finally stops the criminals. As a police officer apprehends the pair, he comments that Thor looks a little weakened by the fight. You okay, big fella? Deflecting those blasts must have taken a lot more out of you than you first thought. But this is in fact just one more of a recurring bout of episodes of weakness and dizziness for the Thunder God. But it passes quickly enough, and Thor arrives at the apartment of his human identity, architect Eric Masterson. He arrives just in time to get his son Kevin off to school, after which Eric looks for the friend who he recently invited to stay at his apartment. And he finds his friend in the bathtub, with a cup of coffee in one hand, and watching the Flintstones on a small television set across the tub. The friend is Hercules. Meanwhile, across town, the police detectives are wondering how so many punks in their town have gotten such impressive weaponry. But as we pull out, we see that the police are on a screen, and a metal-gloved hand reaches out toward it. Insignificant flea, the truth would surely leave you cowering in absolute terror. For you have had the ill fortune of stumbling upon a stratagem so elaborate that it could only have been conceived by the matchless mind of... I turn the page to reveal a full-page splash of Dr. Doom. He monologues to us that he is temporarily out of power as ruler of Latveria, but that Thor will soon give him the necessary power to regain the rightful rule of his kingdom. Doom has been the source of the high-tech weaponry flooding New York, and finally his plan is bearing fruit. The time has come to begin Phase 2, which involves Doom firing a time bot away from his compound. I have left nothing to chance. My plan is flawless. It cannot fail. And as veteran readers of comic books, I think we can rest assured at this point that this plan cannot fail. Back in New York City, Eric is a late arrival at his building site, along with his big new friend Hercules, who has been added to the crew. I know that New York City was more laid back then than it is now. There's no way that Mayor Bloomberg would allow this, as it violates, I don't know, immigration laws, union policies, to say nothing of workplace safety regulations. And, of course, Hercules is a big fan of 32-ounce cups of soda. 
We switch back to the police station, where the time bot busts through the walls of the precinct house, firing time blasts out of its big old time-blasting chest plate. The robot seems to disintegrate one of the officers, but he reappears a few panels later babbling about monsters and dinosaurs. Back at the construction site, a radio plays a news report of the fracas at the precinct. Eric ducks away and smacks his fancy walking stick into the ground and transforms into Thor. Something is threatening human lives, and the God of Thunder shall face it and vanquish it. And then it is on. And by it, I mean Hercules and Thor going toe-to-toe with Doom's big purple robot. Between the two of them, they are able to smack around the time bot something good still viewing from some distance via an impressive closed-circuit TV setup. Doom is worried. The addition of Hercules is most unexpected. He is an X-Factor which could adversely affect my carefully orchestrated scenario. The Timebot briefly gets the upper hand in the fight and tosses Hercules through a plate glass window, and the Son of Zeus feels an odd sensation clutching at his heart. Could it be, he wonders, fear? A chest blast catches Thor full on, and he briefly sees scenes of a volcano and a huge dinosaur, but that too passes quickly. I'm not sure exactly where Doctor Doom had been viewing this melee, but wherever he was, he got to a nearby New York rooftop real quick. And then it is really on, and by it I mean Hercules and Thor going toe-to-toe with Doctor Doom himself. But in this fight, we see why Doctor Doom is such a great villain. And I mean that in the most complimentary way possible. As Thor and Hercules jump down on the rooftop where Doom and his time bot are located, the Thunder God demands that Doom surrender or feel our righteous wrath, he bellows. I am not impressed, Thunder God. Your weapons are merely strength and courage, while I possess my matchless intellect. In retrospect, Doom is making a really good point here. Hercules makes one final attack before the foreboding sense of fear that he's been experiences completely overwhelms him. But the robot repels him, and Thor believes he finally knows how to defeat Doom's plan. But his timing needs to be perfect. Thor corners his adversary at the edge of the roof. Stand fast, Doom, abandon thy unholy quest, or thou shalt feel the full, unfettered force of mine enchanted hammer. But tricking Doom, Thor instead hurls his mighty hammer behind him straight into the unsuspecting robot, into his one unprotected part, the chest plate. And since this is Thor's book, and he is the hero, this tactic of his works, even Doom is impressed. A brilliant stratagem, Thunder God. Except that Thor is facing Doctor Doom, and Doctor Doom is a way better strategist, and Doctor Doom's IQ is at least double what Thor's is, so this tactic actually fails. Except for one small detail, the Latverian explains to Thor. The chest plate also contains the time ray. Of course Dr. Doom knew what Thor was going to do. At last, Doom proclaims, I have stolen the hammer of Thor. And 60 seconds later, Thor is gone, and Eric Masterson is back. Great Olympus, Hercules says. What course of action should we take now? We follow Doom to Latveria and reclaim the hammer, Masterson replies. Just don't ask me how. To be continued.
This is the Old Father Odin, and you should be listening to Radio Free Asgard. No, no, that's just not going to work. Let's try this again. This is the evil Loki, and if you hate Thor as much as I do, you should be... All right, let's just try one more thing. Jane Foster here, and you should be... Ah, risen. All right, let's just keep this simple. Hello, everybody. My name is Tom Harris, and I do a podcast called Radio Free Asgard, which airs every Thursday over at RadioFreeAsgard.com. We cover the adventures of Thor, Hercules, and more from ancient times all the way up into the present day. We read old comics and make fun of them. I do ridiculous voices and generally make an ass of myself. So if that sounds fun to you, you should come join us, the only Thor podcast hosted by a true descendant of Odin, over at RadioFreeAsgard.com, and we'll see you there. And we're back. Now, I have no idea where this book fits into the greater Thor mythology or continuity. I know almost nothing about Eric Masterson, except what I learned reading this issue. So, where exactly was Don Blake at this time, and Jane Foster? I have no idea. This is only our fourth episode together in the Quarterman, so allow me to let you in on a little secret. Doctor Doom is my favorite comic book character ever. Check out the Fantastic Cast podcast, episode 34 in particular, if you don't believe me. So I've picked up a half dozen or so issues, maybe a dozen, from the quarter bins solely because Doctor Doom was on the cover. Obviously, most of these are Fantastic Four issues, but I was psyched when I saw Doom on the cover of a Thor comic. And what a cover it is. Ron Friends and Joe Sinnott drew the cover, of which Doctor Doom is more than half. He's holding an hourglass, and in one chamber is Hercules, and in the other, Thor. And compared to Doom, the heroes are tiny. I would say that his hands are almost the size of the hourglass, so Doom looms over and appears to be in complete control of the heroes. This is obviously symbolic cover, not a literal scene from the book, but it does get the feeling of cro- across of what is going to happen in the lead story. As I did mention before, the cover claims that Doom is 60 seconds away, while the actual title of the story is Doom is only 60 seconds away. Maybe a late change, uh, maybe an editing boo-boo, maybe just artistic license. Other art in the story is equally eye-catching. You have a lot of jumping and flying and capes flapping and hammers being thrown, so perspective is a critical part of a story like this. And for the most part, Friends and Senate pull this off really well. The opening page... A scene I described of Thor's hammer flying straight at us and crashing through this high-tech vehicle is very arresting. And the full-page splash of Doom is very solid, surrounded as he is in this enclave by tech clearly designed by Jack Kirby. Doom's tunic and cape can cause artists some trouble, but again, he looks very good throughout the story. Some of the background colors are pretty plain, but there's so much detail in so many of the panels, that's the most minor quibble I could find in the art. Generally speaking, I am a bit more of a DC fanboy than a Marvel zombie, but this issue demonstrates one of Marvel's great strengths, and that is their truly shared universe. In the DC world, villains hardly ever face anyone other than their assigned hero. In the Bronze Age, the Flash's rogues gallery actually had regular business meetings with a chairperson, minutes, and an award ceremony. So the thought of, say, Mirror Master taking on Green Lantern instead of Flash seems so outrageous as to be unimaginable. 
Joker versus Green Arrow, Hector Hammond versus Aquaman. These matchups just don't make sense. DC heroes are attached to their city. Metropolis, Gotham, Central City, Star City, etc. And the villains seem to be attached to their hero. But most of the Marvel heroes operate in or around New York City, as do most of their villains. So the idea that Kingpin can be both a major villain for Spider-Man and Daredevil is not unreasonable. Obviously, Doctor Doom is best known as a Fantastic Four adversary, although some of my favorite Doom stories feature him facing Iron Man. And this issue, Doom vs. Thor, is terrific. But again, it makes sense that Doom would look around the entire Marvel Universe for a tool that would aid him in his reclamation of the Latverian throne. There's no reason to limit himself to a Reed Richards invention or something at the FF headquarters. No, he needs Thor's hammer. And since this is a Marvel book, Doctor Doom can go after Thor's hammer in an issue of the Mighty Thor. No big deal. I'm not sure what's going on with Thor's dizzy spells. If that's a plot point from prior issues, I assume that it is. Same with Hercules' fear, maybe. I don't get the sense that either of these appeared first in this issue, or that they were Doom-related. The only editor's note is about a recent enchantment that has created Thor's mortal side, the identity of Eric Masterson. Again, the details of that are beyond me. Hercules is another great addition to this story. I'm not going to dwell on the theological implications of this, but it does make some strange sort of comic book sense that he and Thor would be friends, maybe even share an apartment. DeFalco does a great job capturing that sense of humor, that sense of adventure that makes Marvel's Hercules as a character really stand out. The scene in the bathtub was hilarious, and Herc has some nice quips on the construction site as well. A big deal is made in this story about Doom's intellectual superiority, Thor, and that does play out in the plot. I love that as both a comics fan in general and, of course, as a loyal acolyte to the rightful ruler of Latveria, president for life, Victor I. They made the hero fail, and not just fail, but play right into the villain's trap. Doom's plan made sense, and the way that the story is told in this issue, it makes sense. We cover different locations, moving around at a nice pace, laying out the groundwork very nicely, and then some great action and a great last few pages and a great dramatic ending leading into the next issue. I really, really enjoyed reading this story. Uh, By the way, I do not own the next issue, although I will scour the 25-cent boxes for it next chance I get. But I do think that we can safely assume that Doom maintained control of the hammer, regained his throne, led Latveria into its rightful place as a world power, and that Thor was never heard from again. Or something like that. Well, that does not wrap up my coverage of the Mighty Thor 409, because there is a backup story, and I will cover that right after this. Okay, Bill, are we ready? Sure, Paul. Oh, wait, be right back. I need my Avengers omnibus. Uh, Where did I put that thing? While Bill looks for that, let me tell you about our new endeavor. Two True Freaks has grown, and Back to the Bins is growing with it. I, Paul Spataro, along with Bill Robinson and Scott Gardner... Just say his name three times in an email, and he'll appear in your show. Hey, how's it going? Ah! Sorry, sorry, I forgot I had a Scott Gardner life model decoy in here. Be right there. Ow! Ow, who put Cap's shield there? (laughs) Anyway, we're looking to showcase various characters, storylines, issues... 
or whatever strikes our fancy from the world of the Avengers. Hey, Ben, move that funny-looking hammer, would you? It's it's on that book, and I can't move it. Sure thing, Dad. Where do you want it? Uh, over there somewhere. No! no! Watch out for the repulsor! Ow! Ah! Oh! Ah! Ah! Don't tell your mother. We like to call it Avengers Spotlight. I thought it was going to be called Old Avengers Never Die, They Just Get Reassembled and Sent to Another Earth. What? Too wordy? Who knows what we'll cover, and who might stop by? So join us for the Avengers Spotlight, where we'll look at Earth's greatest heroes and some of comics' greatest stories, such as the Korvac Saga, Acts of Vengeance, the Kree Skrull War, and, oh, for the love of Christ, who the hell put the Celestial Madonna Saga on this list? Huh. I found a use for that life model decoy after all. Okay, found it. We ready? Hey, wait a minute. This is the book of the Vashanti. <sighs> Forget it. See you soon, everybody. My favorite Avengers are D-Man and Green Lantern. Say goodnight, Scott. Goodnight, Scott. And we're back. Again. With the five-page backup story from the Tales of Asgard line called To Fight the Unbeatable Foe, written by Tom DeFalco and drawn by Mike Mignola and Bob Wyacek. Thor has entered the underground to investigate reports of trolls raiding the Asgardian countryside. Along with the troll king Grundor, he comes upon the huge troll demon Urak. Thor attacks with Mjolnir, but Urak easily fends off the blast. Well, Orak boasts about how unstoppable he is and that no power can stop him, blah, blah, blah. Thor asks the king how this monster came to be. Which brings us to, as Thomas DJ would say, flashback time. Although he says it with cooler sound effects than I just did. Bummer. Grundor tells us that Orak was once a weaponsmith and that he happened upon a huge store of Uru metal. He mystically transferred his being into the metal becoming Urak, a being of the Uru metal. Crazed for power and conquest, he attacked his fellow trolls, forcing them from their home. Back in the present, Urak is still boasting, only those who surrender to me have any hope for survival. Thor disagrees with this assessment. Never, the god of thunder defers to none. Urak magnetizes himself and pulls Mjolnir from Thor's grip but finds that he cannot lift the enchanted hammer. No living being can lift the hammer unless he be worthy. So Thor reclaims the hammer, and he taunts Urak. Urak is tricked into following Thor and Grundor onto a bridge. Urak's angry strike breaks the bridge into pieces, sending himself into the bottomless chasm of eternal sorrow. Thor uses Mjolnir to fly himself and Grundor away. In the last panel, Grundor says, Methinks this could be the beginning of a beautiful friendship. To which Thor replies, Mayhaps. There are two things worth mentioning in this little story. One is the Casablanca style ending. That was a fun reference. The other is Mignola's art. There is a lot of what would become his trademark Hellboy style uh, in this story. And of course, this is a story of trolls and demons and gods, so. Mignola's style obviously works in, in a story with this type of character. So as distinctive as, as 
that art can be, and it, it that doesn't necessarily work for every type of story. I was not a fan of his Superman work, for example, but for this little tale, the type of character, the type of story, it worked just fine. And I do like the fact that in this case, Thor did outthink his opponent, especially given what we saw in the lead story, where his wits uh, were no match for Doctor Doom. The verdict on the Mighty Thor, number 409, definitely worth 25 cents. A legitimate quarter-bin bargain. Don't quote me on this outside of Latveria, but even without the good doctor, this delivered well over a quarter's worth of entertainment. And unlike the issue of John Sable Freelance we looked at last episode, I don't feel that the main story of this gave us half a story. Yes, there's a cliffhanger, the story continues, but despite that, I'm extremely satisfied with what I got out of that lead story. Forget all the action scenes, even. Just 17 pages of Thor and Hercules hanging out would have been worth 25 cents. To say nothing of the fun little backup story. A thoroughly enjoyable issue, start to finish. That actually does wrap up my coverage of the Mighty Thor number 409, bringing episode 4 of the Quarterbin podcast to a close. In episode 5, I'll cover another Marvel book, a book I can't believe I have found so many issues of, in the cheapy bins. Get out your neutralizer and prepare to fight the dire wraiths because I'll be covering Rom Space Knight number 46. If you have any questions or comments about this issue or the podcast, feel free to contact me. Until next episode, I'm Professor Allen and I'll see you in the quarter bin. The Quarterbin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky family of podcasts. Show notes and links are available at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com, where the podcasts Uncovering the Bronze Age and Shortbox Showcase also make their home. Links to Facebook and Twitter are there as well. Feedback for the show is welcome at relativelygeeky at gmail.com. And if you like what we've got going here, please leave a review and a rating in iTunes. It'll help more people discover the show. Thanks again for listening. Professor! Professor.